Blog Talk Radio. That's right. Dungeon Crawlers Radio is on, back online. And, uh, wow. Can I just say I hate Skype? <laughs> so we've been spending the last 15 minutes trying to get logged in just to find out that Skype has a ver- an embedded keypad about 14 menus under. And, uh, you know, Blog Talk's made some changes where you have to press 1 to actually get in, which makes no sense because it used to be a one button. We'd click we're in. No. So anyways, welcome back to the show. Uh, we've Got lots going on this evening. We've got author Taryn James in the house. <laughs> that was so exciting. <laughs> wow. That was like a Smurf screaming for your life. <laughs> and he is a little blue. He is. <laughs> or, yeah. So uh, we'll talk about his books. We've got uh, author Michael Underwood t- coming on later uh, as well. But not only that, if you, this is a, an awesome opportunity if you're around in the area. Come down to Gamers Inn because there is a book signing. That's right. Author Darren James will be doing a book signing of his books. I don't know which books, but the books. <laughs> True Sight, uh, second book in the Beholder series. You actually have copies of the yeah, True Sight a one. A box of 25 so, mint condition. Which pre-release. are not available. Nobody has them. You need to run down here. Like as fast as your little legs or car can take you. Little smirk legs. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Gamers Inn's in Lehigh. For those of you that don't know where it is, um, you know, look them up. GamersInLehigh.com. They'll give you the address and everything like that. 1245 right. West, Maine. There you go. He already knows it. I don't have it memorized, but that's okay because other people said it for me. <laughs> Anyways, so with that said, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff going on. We had a great time at LTOE. Uh, did a lot of panels, met with a lot of people. There's some awesome news coming. I just can't say it yet, but you'll find it soon. Uh, yeah. Doesn't it involve like a barrel and a sign that says end of the world or anything like no, that? No, nothing like that. No one will be, <laughs> you know, saying the world will end, you know, anything like that. All I can say is it will be awesome. And, you know, maybe some villainy will be involved. Who epic, knows? Epic. Could yes. you sing it awesome. that everything will be awesome? You? No. <laughs> I really hate that song. <laughs> if you only knew the number of times the song has been reaped in my home, 
you know that and let it go. Yeah. <laughs> or let one go. Actually, the the, yeah, the kids don't listen to that one as much. It's it's let it go and and everything is awesome. But that would be an awesome song to play. Sure. If I could. But you should just let it go. Maybe you know. Yeah. Maybe you know. When we get to play music, that will be. The very first song to play. <laughs> that would there be fun. I think you should. I, I think I should with that. So, this has been a long time coming. You know, Whoa. you've had book one. You had out because you were kind of self-publishing it. Correct. Then it got picked up, mm-hmm. yanked off the shelves, mm-hmm. got to be re-released mm-hmm. with a new cover, which is kind of snazzy. Kind of really snazzy. And then yes. here we are at the precipice for the second book. Which it's been delayed a little bit more. So this is probably going to be like really frustrating because like, get it out! No, yeah. It's no, yeah. Push off again, uh, yeah. again. Yeah. Everyone keeps false starting and you know yeah. stuck at the line. My knees are bleeding on the track, but yeah, I'm excited. We're finally in the race. Nice. Weren't all four of your kids the same way? Like, supposed to be here. Nope. Hold on. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> book writing, birthing. You know, whatever. It's, it's all just you it's know. All Arms after That's awesome. But yeah, three and a half years since I first started self-publishing. Wow. Um, 2011 is when the first book came out, but now, yes. So how many, There's, if I remember right, there's five in total? There could be five. If, could be. Yeah, but four in the series, and then okay. after that's done, if fans are wishing for it enough, then there would be a prequel about oh, nice. the initial fall of Apernesia. Okay. Yeah. But all the books are technically written, right? Okay, so we're just waiting for the publishers. Well, not that technical. Not okay. That technical. <laughs> they could be written and published very quickly, yeah, but there's cogs and wheels moving that people just don't see. Yes, there's always yeah. cogs and wheels that are moving that people don't see. <laughs> yes, people, there not are. WD-40. Eh, there's other things to... You know. Graphite? No, you don't need graphite. That worked on my Throw some dead squirrels in there. I would do be correct. You just put a block on there and agree. Dead squirrels, you know. Squirrels? Yeah, you know, those get crushed, and there's enough, you know, blood and stuff like that to to grease the wheels. Wow. (laughs) Pot guts, ground squirrels. Yes. Anything small and bleeds. Yeah, no, just kidding. Um, Hamsters. Hamsters, even. Hey, gerbils. Guinea pigs. Those all work. I don't know. Sometimes we'll go back to graphite. Yeah, we'll go back to graphite. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that. I have to. I have to do two Pinewood Derby cars this year. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. I guess I do as well. My second son just turned eight today. So it's it'll be interesting. The first one we did, I yeah, my boy's like, I want a Batmobile. Oh yay! Let's set the standards really high here. <laughs> Luckily, you know it, it looked pretty good. It worked out. The second car didn't look as awesome. Well, which Batmobile though? That's what I. Mean. Oh, I had the fins and everything. It looked pretty awesome. But, but which Keaton, one? The Keaton. Batmobile? More like the. It, it was a mixture of the Keaton one because I couldn't do the the whole hump thing, but just for aerodynamics. <laughs> but it looked more like the Keaton one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, but you know, then the next year it was a Green Lantern car. And I only had like a day and a half Does to he actually. Use a car? I, I don't think. No, he didn't use the car. <laughs> no, he <laughs> just make a car and paint it green. I pretty much made it green and black, and put a and ring put on the a, front or something. Put the Green Lantern symbol on the front. <laughs> there you go. And then, okay. I only had a day and a half to work on that. Where the Batmobile, I had like a month and a half. 
So, so is this one going to be the Flash? I have, but more than likely, that's what he's going to. That's what yeah, one of them go. is going to want because he's a huge Flash nut. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. So you're watching the show then? Yes. The show is amazing. Yeah, that's the show what is I've awesome. heard. But I heard too late. Now it's on episode ten on Hulu, so I have to. Go. Episode ten. I'm on. I I watched episode fourteen this week. No, I mean like that's as far back as. Oh, as far back. I can't get back. I hate Hulu beginning. for that. Yeah. Do you know how annoying that is? And then you pay f- for the paid subscription, and you still have commercials. Yep. And you still can't go back. And you still can't go back. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? Yeah. I'm paying you money for like three more episodes. There you go. Yeah, it, it sucks. I won't get it. I don't want it. I don't have it. I don't do it. I don't even have cable anymore. No cable. No normal TV. We just, just have Netflix. Netflix subscription. There you yeah. go. Roof and tennis. Netflix. All you need. Not really. <laughs> it really is all you need. Some people just go off of YouTube. That's or you can go to YouTube. I mean, there are places to find stuff. Yeah. These days. So, yeah. But you haven't watched any of The Flash then? No. Gotham? But all I've heard great is Great show. Disturbing at points. The great show. Yeah. Oh, and we should probably introduce number four here at the table. Number four at the table, yes. He's, he's my entourage, Travis. Hello. <laughs> the Entourage. Yeah, he, he mused my first book back when I was I remember. first writing, and he's been my cheerleader along the entire way. And a huge ray in, of sunshine. We ran into him at cons, and Quite a few times. he's been here. Hopefully this time you don't fall on your butt when we do a video. <laughs> no, that was me. Not him. I know. <laughs> I know it was there. That's why I was looking at you when I said that. That was epic. Wasn't yeah, it? That, yeah, in fact, we did a collage, and we used... All right, welcome back, folks. So, the fates of the internet have not been very good, as I you think can tell. Someone sabotaging my book sale. It has to do with something with you because we always have problems. <laughs> it is weird. We have not. No, uh, the first thing is definitely a change uh, in blog talk stuff. But the internet going out, uh, they were making some changes up at the front counter and. Something got unplugged and something has not re- come back up. Now we are hot wired through a phone and we're not doing this like Han Solo. I don't know who <laughs> what we're doing at this point. Just call us a Millennium Falcon. <laughs> it's pretty much what the show is like. We've got wires running everywhere. We've got we're hot wired into a phone. Oh my gosh! We just sent Travis. Oh no, dang. we're supposed to talk. I was going to say we sent Travis to the pet store to buy a few hamsters. <laughs> well, that's kind of funny. We've always joked that we have a Pikachu that Squirrel. powers our TARDIS, <laughs> gives us our power supply. Uh, yeah. Let's but. take the TARDIS back and get him not to unplug the Wi-Fi. Yes. So <laughs> once again, sorry about this. Uh, you know, sorry to you guys. Uh, it's okay. It, this is crazy. So jumping back, let's. To the book. So, in Insight is already out. They right. can pick it up. True Sight is the sequel. Now, where are we going from the end of Insight to now into True Sight? And where is the story going? Without giving away too much. Well, you know, that's, give it away. People want to read it more, right? I'm not too worried about spoilers. All right. <laughs> well, we all know that a good fantasy book ends in a big war. Yeah. So, of course, uh, Insight ends in a big war. And dangles a big carrot that one of the key characters might actually have the same power that Lon was given. Hmm. And uh, the second book picks up right where it left off with um, 
a lot of drama. This new character is um, becomes the first female beholder that has ever existed in Aponesia. Um, beholders are people who have the power to use true sight, and true sight is the ability to see the world's energy and manipulate it mm-hmm. through your own essence. So this female beholder begins to get trained the correct way by a jade. Uh, jades are, think of them as kind of like angels that that ma- monitor the world's energies. And um, you get a very different perspective on how to use the magic true sight from the correct, like, proper perspective. And that's where the book title is, comes from. It's true sight instead mm. of just insight. Insight, he's guessing at it, then true sight comes in with this new character that really has it going on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's just the beginning of the book. And, man, I would love to just talk about the whole book, but pretty much anything I say will spoil the first book. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> uh, good and bad about building it so carefully off the first book. But yeah. yeah. New unveilings, new wars, new friendships, new love interests, new deaths. It's, yeah. Nice. The whole package. And this is targeted towards YA, so young adult. Correct, yeah. yeah. So, um, why did you pick the YA genre instead of, like, adults? I mean, you're talking about wars and stuff like that. Sure. So, why did you kind of focus more on that area? Uh, well, good question. Um, I've always appreciated the young adult genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as an adult, that's still my favorite. Um, I enjoy things that are less heavy that I don't have to worry about what's on the next page when I turn it, if I'm going to have to put the book down mm-hmm. halfway through. So content-wise, I, I very much appreciate young adults, but also young adults are my or my passion and interest. I'm a junior high English teacher, so of course I want to cater to their interests, give them a good excuse to read. No strings attached. So are there several bookshelves in your, your classroom where your book is sitting there? <laughs> I know, right? Extra credit if you read it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no, no. They really could read my book for one of my class assignments, yeah. I, but um, it's not required. <laughs> and I, Every book on the shelf is his. So I mean, like, so I think it might just, have something. Oh, if okay. it yeah. works out that way, I have yeah. a locked cash box at the front of my class. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I, I have to be careful about that to keep work interests separate yeah. from book sales um, because it could come back to get me. Oh, of so course. So if, if they, outside of the outside of my classroom, are really excited about what I'm selling, I'm all about talking to them about it, promoting it. Mm-hmm. But in the classroom, we can make general references, and I use it as a way to inspire them to, for their own academics and to enjoy reading. But, yeah, I nice. steer clear of that in the classroom. Now, I'm just going to throw it out there. For any listeners right now, if you want to call in and ask uh, Taryn a question, you're more than welcome to. The call-in number is 626-226-1475. You're welcome to call in. Uh, just be appropriate. You know, Ask a, a decent question. Don't be inappropriate or say something that... Let's just say you, you wouldn't want to hear someone just spit out in front of you. Uh, there are those people that will do it, so you want to send out the reminder. Uh, again, apologize about the glitches. It's been a crazy night. We've we've got them going. So, um, you know, so you're an English teacher during the day. Yes. You're right on the side. You've you've got a family. <laughs> How uh, do you balance 
career, writing, family, and then stuff you want to do. Crowbar. A crowbar? <laughs> no, definitely not. Crowbar. I, I think I think my lifestyle right now could be perfectly summed up with a quote from Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <laughs> just, just weeping, huh? Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 happy torture, but oh my goodness, I am so stretched thin. It's even bigger than the picture you've painted. Uh, yeah, I. Yeah. Aside from teaching, I have three college classes I'm taking right now. Oh, yeah. I, I am still trying to write, though that's on hold right now while I sell my second book. My wife is sick and pregnant, so I'm playing mom and dad awesome. at home. And uh, what else? Oh, well, the world's coming to an end. We forgot about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it can't come to an end. we got to get hoverboards first. There you and go. auto laces. Back far away. The yeah. Was that May 15th? Is that what the date was, October. I think? October. October 15th. 21st. Yeah. 21st? Yeah. Yeah. May 15th, is that when he went back? May 15th, 1955? No. So, I don't know. Yeah. I just want to say May 15th again. May okay. 15th. May 15th must be an important day. <laughs> okay. Somewhere in there. Now I have to look this up. <laughs> what was the date? Uh, hold on. Was the date in back... To the future, too. That he went back to. All right. I know it was 1955. Yeah, hold on. La, la, la. Well, back to the future, too, he went forward. Yeah, he right. went into the future. Yeah, It was like 2015. Yeah. But I, we're going to find the exact date. Well, make sure when you're looking it up, you don't find one of the bajillion photoshopped versions of what he actually went. Okay, so... Well, okay, well, fine. I'm tra- <laughs> dead space. That's what's good on radio. Man. <laughs> yes. I'll go October twenty first, two thousand fifteen. All right, you win. Thanks. I'll buy you yeah. soda. But if you look at that too, it's amazing how much of that stuff has come true. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, we, we video can do, games without we, controllers. We have correct. that now. We can do conf- video conference calls. Yep, multiple yeah. video conference yeah. calls. Yeah, through Skype You can watch many channels at the same time and on the TV. Thankfully, out the, thankfully, uh, we don't have to wear two ties. Though I am sporting a very awesome, you are wearing an awesome tie. I would like to see you know rehydrated pizzas. Yeah, those were teeny. Although at CES they did have um, food printers this year. Oh wow! So you can print your food and it cooks it as it prints. I don't know if I trust that. (laughs) What to see? It was there. How do you print? You trust anything out of a package at the store? You can trust it. (laughs) Pepperoni. <laughs> All right, looks like we got a phone call okay. here, so we're going to pick this up. Welcome to Denver Cars Radio. Hi, I'm Terrence Nephew. Say hello. Hello, I'm Terrence Nephew, and I'm wondering if he's going to name another character after me. Why would I name you two characters, Ken? <laughs> because apparently he's an awesome <laughs> nephew. Because I'm awesome. Because I'm awesome. <laughs> you are awesome. So awesome that there's going to be important things that happen to you in this book. I'm looking forward to you finding out about it, and we'll have to talk about it. He was already named after one of the me? characters. What's that? Did you kill me? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he did to me. Yeah, I, I killed lots of people. I don't know. I can't keep track. <laughs> no, Kian is one of my... 
um, many nieces and nephews that I'd named most of the characters. Well, I have named all of my nieces and nephews in my book somehow. And he was one of the characters in Lon's squad, Keen. That's awesome. I, I love the fact that he said, so did you kill me? <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to He's read the book to find out. He's trying to kill him twice. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome, he'll be killed twice. He'll be twice dead over. So maybe you'll bring him back as a zombie. Oh, and then you can kill him. I don't know if there's zombies in your world. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened. Uh, we lost the call. I, I, Did he hang up? Well, I hit mute, so I don't know if he thought because I hit mute because it plays music or something that he got disconnected or something. So, uh, sorry to your nephew. Yeah, but there. to answer your question, Ken, you'll just have to read the book to find out if, yeah. I, if I killed you. <laughs> what a great way. Oh, but talk about now I have appropriate to, Now I have to read the book. Uh, yeah. Oh, and hey, yeah, real quick plug yes. about that. Just just a reminder, one more time for people that may have just been joining us. In 20 minutes, we're going to start a book signing uh, where you can buy both books, especially the second book, True Side, that isn't even available not on available. Amazon until the 24th. So 25 books, first come, first serve. Especially in my box. That's awesome. So, you, you've got all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. The the wife is pregnant, expecting child number five. Five. That's awesome. And then college classes, day job where you teach you know young adults how to write and English and all that stuff. Still got to find time to write. So there literally is no time to do. Anything that you like to do. Unless I force it. Unless you force it. <laughs> well, that's a really good point, though. I um, I tell my students this a lot, and if any of you are listening, hi. What's <laughs> <laughs> up? So, um, I, um, I value the second. Mm-hmm. That if we really want to accomplish any of our dreams in this life, it, it all comes down to recognizing the value of every second and every day. That it's only going to happen if you do that, especially with this world that can pull us in so many different directions. Yeah. And that's another little catchphrase of mine is we live in a world, a fast food world that is incredibly busy doing nothing. Yeah. So if you step away from the distractions. Well, I mean, it's so easy to get distracted. I mean, you got TV, literally at your fingertips, you can pull out your phone or your iPad and watch Netflix. Uh, Growing up, you didn't have that. Um, I mean, we didn't even have a phone in <laughs> our phone. Your remote pocket. control car was a broom with a... Well, no, I mean, I, I, I still had a remote control car. <laughs> but literally, if you wanted to play video games, you had to go home and sit in front of your TV. Right. And you had to hook it up and everything like that. Now you can just plop down. It's on your phone. We didn't have a phone in our pocket. We had to, you know, the, I at least had the old rotary phone where I had to stick my finger in and, you know, pick the number and spin it around and go back. And it, It's amazing how much... How many distractions there are? You can get on the internet from your phone. There, yeah, there's just tons it's of stuff. Not just one. It's always it's like my kids are always on multiple screens at a time. Oh, it's yeah. not just well, and I catch myself doing it too. Where you know I'll be sitting there and I'll turn you know like something on Netflix on the TV or on my laptop, and mm-hmm. I'll be watching that, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, I forgot to do this, and I'll grab my iPad and start doing stuff, <laughs> yeah. and I'm listening, but I'm not watching what's not. going on, <laughs> and then you know, and then oh wait, I got a text, and you know, yeah. I'm not paying yeah. attention. Really to busy what's going doing on. nothing. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, I was supposed to write. <laughs> yeah. 
it's uh, it's really easy. Well, and it, it gets really hard too because the the standard of today, like if you don't reply to someone with a text message within like ten minutes, yeah. or you, uh, get on your Facebook to comment every day, then the world thinks you're rude, and that it just makes no sense. Yeah, you should be able to shut it down, be present where you are instead of on the demand of the world. Oh, I know, and social media is crazy. I mean, there I can't tell. Yeah, the number of times I've literally had to go, okay, I'm done. I'm putting my iPad away. My phone's going in the drawer, too. Because otherwise, if it's next to me and I'm here, ding, ding, yeah. ding. I'm just like, I'm looking. I'm like, uh, uh, I got to grab it. Because, yeah, you got you know, you to be connected. You got to you know send the messages or stuff like that. Otherwise, you're right. People either think, one, you're rude. Two, you don't care. Or three, Something's more important, and they're not. And it's like, oh, my and, God. And all of those are true. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> if it has to be. Yeah. So as you're all looking at Facebook and seeing all yes. of my posts about the importance of not to... No, <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you keep following me on Facebook to see how much of a distraction Facebook is. I'll let yes. me follow you. All right. Make me one of your favorites. Yes. <laughs> so February 24th is when the book officially comes out. Apparently, the Amazon book comes out. Amazon. Yeah, this is kind of a, a release of many timelines. You can get the Kindle version right now. Okay. I, I so got a lovely review from someone down in Enoch, Utah, saying how much they, their son disappeared out of out of a- anywhere. They said they never even saw their child for a couple of days. He just disappeared. Huh? Wow. And then came up and said, When's, where's book three? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. All right, we got another call. Let's grab this. Uh, Dungeon Hi. Crawlers Radio. Hi. You Hi. called back. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I can see. I um, saw your message that said that the, a mean voice said, thank you for listening, goodbye, and hung up on you. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yes, um, I'm 11, and um, I really, really like this book, and I can't wait to read the second one. Awesome. Do I know it's even... Even more exciting, wait till book three. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Truth be known, yeah. I've, I've been telling Travis about book three since 2008 when I first came up with this idea. And everything I've been writing has been excited for book three. Like, I literally had tears in my eyes as I was telling about it because I That's was awesome. so passionate about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is the same nephew that just wanted to know if we killed him off? Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. wait till book Read book two, and maybe you're in book three. <laughs> but you if have you to didn't wait. make it to book three, then there's a good chance you died. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for calling in, Kian. You're right, welcome. Bye-bye. And that time I did hang. Yes, you did. So I'm sorry if you got upset. Uh, is 11? 11. Nice. I mean, that, that's the one thing I, I like about books, um, and that's one thing I think a lot of kids are missing out on is the joy of sitting down and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, there's been a couple of my kids that's been a struggle because it's so much easier. Well, why should I watch, you know, like The Hunger Games, or why should I watch Maze Runner or or read r- those when I can watch them? Yeah, you know, wait long enough. Yeah, wait yeah. long enough. You know, yeah. I want to watch Maze Runner instead of read it. It's like but there's so much that's yeah. not. And I on have, the screen yeah, that's in the book. I have yeah, a very real experience with that over uh, the, the last few months this year. 
I started a new program with my uh, students that they're required to read two books per term. Mm-hmm. Um, and every cycle as we go through that, they at the end of reading these books, they get up and share a, a quick blurb about the book, uh, who wrote it, whether or not they liked it and would recommend it to anyone else to read and then take a couple questions from their classmates. And we just went through a wave of like 130 uh, 130 uh, reviews of different books students were reading this term. And of every single one of them, I think three people said they didn't like the book. Hmm. And most of them are movie-based and everything, and all of them said books way better than movies. So, yeah, it's very real. If they take the time to read a book, oh, my goodness. Now, you gave them the choice of yeah, yeah, pretty loosely constructed. I still want them to run the book by me to see which one they're reading, but just to make sure it's on their level. But. Now, now, see, back when I was growing up, they assigned you a book. Oh, well, we have and that, of too. of course, they were. <laughs> the Old the Man in the Sea. Boring city. one. Mice you, the Tale of Two Cities of Mice well, and Men. I hated those books. So Literally. Yeah, and it kind of defeats the purpose yeah. of literature. Well, and sure. now, you know, my kids are like, oh, yeah, I got to pick which book I want to read. I'm like, What? You know, that's the one thing, you know, English, ice, that was my worst class ever. Mine too. Which is really weird because when I test, I would test, I would score really high. Like high school, my English test scores were, you know, junior in college. And it's like, this makes no sense because I hate this class. It's boring. <laughs> well, you probably weren't being challenged then. Huh? Well, no, I was reading what I wanted to read outside and I was reading stuff that, you know, had challenging words and stuff I had to learn. Um, but it was, if they would have made it so that I got to read what I wanted to, that class would have been a piece of cake. But that was really, that was the problem. Is Well, it's not I even was, just about being a piece of cake. You'd enjoy it. You'd yeah. find that passion for reading. Yeah, I mean, that would have been so much fun. Because literally, I hated reading those books. Mm-hmm. But I was reading two to three books a week at home because it was books I liked. You know, but it took me an entire quarter to read A Tale of Two Cities, which is not that long or big of a book compared to some of the others I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish they would have done something like that. That would have been so much better in my opinion. Well, and I, I still value the the education that comes from books like that, and we'll study them as a class, yeah. but for independent reading, yeah, just let them No, I mean, a book they, they, they are enjoy, good books, don't sure. get me wrong. Uh, really well, good, good book. I guess it depends on your definition of good. <laughs> they're well, educational they're, books. <laughs> you're right. They're they're good to learn from and things like that. But to you know your book report or you know we have to focus on reading this. Oh my goodness! I want to. S- well, I'm glad we talked about that. Whoever developed that curriculum needs to be squished <laughs> by a large troll. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of squish, yes. you know, let's change gears here for a sec. What happens when the blob goes up against a juggernaut? An unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Will like the world tear itself in half? Got to, right? Um, <laughs> Natural black hole created? No, I just think it would, it would look like two statues pushing against each other. <laughs> but they would be grunt. But every now and then you'd hear a grunt. But then one of them loses. If they're pushing each other, the blob wins. No. They're, they're, it's, it's, you know, equal force getting pushed back. So it, they just don't go anywhere. <laughs> no, no, because the juggernaut's not stoppable. If he stops moving, then that means he lost. He lost. 
Huh. Now I got to figure out the physics of this. I don't like this. Or does he push through the blob? Maybe. No, no he can't. The blob can control the center of its gravitational force to the Earth, so therefore, that's huh. why it's immovable. Well, then the juggernaut loses. He can't, because he's unstoppable. Uh. Not true. <laughs> <laughs> just rip that helmet off. And Obviously, if yeah. he yeah. just X-Men moves too, very slowly. Yeah, yeah that's right. true. <laughs> a wall. Yeah. yeah, I guess if you have an anti-mutant power. And I'm pretty man. sure if the juggernaut ran into a mountain, that would stop him. I don't. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. That's that's a really good question. I'm pretty sure if he ran into Hulk, he'd get smashed. Oh yeah, Hulk would smash him. I mean, he, Hulk smashes smashes a god. He can take care of the Juggernaut. <laughs> he smashed all of the gods down yeah. to, with Asgard. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite episode. It's so funny when you start talking about which superheroes the best, which is a, a not an uncommon conversation in my junior high classes. And every time they start talking about it, you bring up the Hulk, and they're all like, "Oh, he doesn't count." <laughs> but yeah, why doesn't he, he always wins? <laughs> well, always. it's just because the angrier he gets, the more powerful he gets. Right, his, yeah. his power level just keeps going up. Yeah, but that would be a really good one: Superman against the Hulk. Seen it? Superman dies. <laughs> well, as long as Superman's in the sun, he's he keeps gaining power, especially with the new power he's been given. He's yeah, actually a nuclear stupid. bomb. Yeah. So after he uses it, he goes human. He does go human. But would a nuclear blast kill the Hulk? No. no. It do not kill cockroaches. No. It doesn't kill cockroaches. So you're, so you're saying that the Hulk is a cockroach. Um, except wow. for it does the smashing instead of getting smashed. Yes. Right? Well, isn't wasn't the Hulk created by gamma rays? It was gamma radiation, which is not the same that's discharged from a nuclear blast. But isn't there gamma rays discharged from one? I don't know. There might be. So it might increase his strength. But but he doesn't need more strength. But the heat vision (laughs) wouldn't give off gamma ray radiation. True. Because it's it's an it's pretty much like a giant solar flare suddenly hit. It melts and destroys everything. So would the Hulk die? Because he would melt. I think it comes down to whether. You're talking about the Superman that's actually intelligent or the dumb Superman because <laughs> they seem to portray both at yeah. times. And when he yeah. fought Solemn Grombie, he was smart enough just to knock him into space and then went and got him afterwards. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I don't know. <laughs> there, there, yeah. Superman is just weird. <laughs> Maybe if Superman dressed up like Betty and could pull it off, then he might win. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> Superman the crossdresser. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's, all right. Well, that stop just there. went in a very wrong direction. Yes. Maybe that's how DC's going to get their movies. <laughs> I don't. DC's got doing some interesting stuff. So uh, that poster really isn't Wonder Woman. That the Superman. Superman. I don't know. Superman. Uh, the Superman Doom <laughs> issue that they're going to be releasing soon is very interesting because they showed a bunch of shards of reality and you're seeing various iconic characters in different multiverses. So, Hmm. And in the center is Superman in his old costume, so maybe the new 52 might be coming to an end. So We might be getting old Superman back. Well, it has been a year. It's about once a year that happens at DC. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to be honest, 
deep Marvel does it just as much. It, you know, yeah. they, they have to revamp things. It's like, come on, guys. It's annoying. But that's the only way you have a character that's been around since the, right. the early 40s, still surviving almost, what, 75 years later? So, And Aurora shouts out from all the fan fiction fans. Yeah, <laughs> because seriously... Batman would be a really old dude running around in a costume, getting the crap beat out of him. No matter how robotic or beefed up that suit is now. Alfred! Alfred would be Alfred would be dead. A long time I mean, what? Alfred but he's a would, robot now. Yeah, that, that's it. Alfred's a robot. A head in a, in a jar. <laughs> With a, with his, Alfred's pickled head, there we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you just turn him into a Jarvis. Yeah, there so we, you go, a Jarvis. There that go. was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. But now you're mixing comics. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You are. That's, that's okay. <laughs> you still be Alfred. Yeah. He's just robotic Alfred. He's a voice. Well, even better, he's like a disc. You know, like which was on Twiggy. Uh, Doctor, what's his name? Who? Uh, from <laughs> Buck Rogers. Oh. The little oh. robotic. Face that was on Twiggy's chest, it you know would always talk. So that could be Alfred. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I keep thinking of that head on the that fish in the robotic suit on Megamind. Oh yeah. Something like that. That was awesome. <laughs> so you just had Alfred's head floating in a pickled jar. And <laughs> robotic robotic bodies walking around. <laughs> Master Bruce, how could I help you today? Go get the bad guy. <laughs> I can't find my keys. Help. Yeah, wow. We just made Batman sound like a really wussy guy. Okay, well. So, book two's out. The end of the month. Yep. Which is exciting. Working on three and... F- yep. We won't say four because we know... Well, I, I have them. Yeah, I should clarify. I have the whole thing laid out, yeah. obviously, with a lot of details, but the actual text itself is... Still, still in, in the works. Yes. <coughs> is there and, a goal on book three? Like what you're hoping yeah. for? Oh, my goodness. My, the goal has always been to do it every year, and as long as people can buy these books and get the sales rolling, then my publisher will see the value in that and make it happen lickety-split. Everyone go buy the book. Now? Now buy. Buy. Yes. Well, you can't buy it now because it doesn't come out until the 24th. You can pre-order, though. You can come here you can and pre-order, buy it. Or you can run down to Gamers Inn right now and get one of the 25 copies he has available before they're out. That's right. You could be the first person. Look what I got. You can't get it. Ha-ha. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Um, but uh, while we're talking about that release, the official like party if uh, after today is going to be on March 14th. Nice. That's going to be... I just got an email probably an hour ago from my publisher confirming that uh, Barnes & Noble and Jordan Landing in West Jordan, March 14th, that's Saturday from 1 to 3 p.m. Cool. So That'd that'll be, awesome. be the big, big event. That's the big event where you will see Taryn James shoot a monkey out of a cannon. Can you, can you fit in a cannon trap? I'm more gorilla-shaped. Uh, just kidding. Maybe if we get the Missouri back over here from no, Hawaii. Just, just kidding. We're not going to be shooting a monkey out of a cannon. Um, I mean, that's that's awesome. The second book's out. Congratulations. I'm sure you're excited. Super excited. Um, Thank you. Hopefully, people, sales will go really well. So you, the third book, and people will 
you know, your publisher will say, we need that third book out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll go really well and they say, hey, we need it in six months. Have fun. Uh, hope. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and uh, one final thought, a non-book related, just yes. before we close this out. Um, this is a, a perspective from an educator. I, I happened upon something this last uh, this last month that I have fallen in love with. Uh, that is a class management tool, mm-hmm. but that our students that love gaming have become obsessed with it, and it improves our academics like exponentially. And it's called Classcraft. Uh, you can check it out on Classcraft.com. It's just it looks as if it's based off of a card-based um, RPG kind of a thing, but that's just on the surface and the inner workings. It has all the tools that teachers need and. Huge plug for that because I've been nothing but super impressed with it as I've used it over the last month. That's cool. cool. Okay, uh, and then one last thing uh, before we take a break, and then we'll uh, jump to the next interview. What is one thing you can give, one kind of uh, piece of advice you can give to inspiring authors? Uh, sure. Um, the, a writer's worst enemy is tomorrow. Tomorrow. That if you're going to make it happen, stop making excuses. The time will never be there. You have to make the time. Nice. Yeah. All right. Okay, so everyone, uh, author Taryn James, be sure to pick up a copy of True Sight. It'll be available February 24th. Uh, if you want or Kindle, Kindle now. If you want Kindle, you can pick it up now. Or if you're in the area, Lehigh, Utah County, West, Salt Lake, Maine. run down to Lehigh, 1245 West, Lehigh, Maine. Or Main Street in Lehigh. Stuff at Gamers Inn, you can probably pick up your, you can, if you're fast enough, you can pick up your copy now. If you're the Flash, you can be here right now, knocking on the door, but no one's knocking. Um, Dang with, it. Yeah. <laughs> with that said, uh, you know, thanks. Sorry about the the snafu there, but, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and, uh, yeah, we'll let you go so you can do the book signing, and we'll take a small break, and then we'll be back with uh, Michael Underwood. Thank you. Okay. And sparkly New Year's as well. So, um... Greetings and salutations, listeners. <laughs> yeah, good one, Double D. This is... Edward Double D speaking. Both of us would like to just say... You're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Um, Dungeons and Crawlers Radio is the place to be. So, okay. Okay, bye now. Enjoy. Call me. 
Welcome back to Ninja Colors Radio, and uh, we're going to jump into our next interview right now. This is Ninja Colors Radio. Is this Mike? Hello. Good to talk to everybody. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I got to listen to a little bit of the last segment, and I realized that it's been way too long since I got to uh, to chat with you all. Yeah, that's okay. You know, it's great to have you back, and I mean, it looks like you've got a few more books that have come out since we've last talked. I mean, I think the last time we talked, you had Celebromancy just come out, or maybe there was another one after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. that's great. Yeah, two two novels in a novella since then, so I've kept busy. Wow. So, yeah, you had uh, you have Shield and, is it Crocus? Yeah. Or, okay, and then uh, The Younger Gods that has just recently come out here at the, the end of this last mm-hmm. quarter, so... Um. So, kind of give us a, a you know a little detail on both of those books, you know, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So, Shield and Crocus is what happens when I try to take the new weird all like China Mieville with uh, kind of baroque settings and cities that are owned their their own character and transmogrification. And I smash it together really hard with everything I love about superheroes, optimism, action, and an ensemble. And the result is an action-adventure story set among, uh, set in a city built among the bones of a giant titan. So I've got superheroes that I've recreated a superhero world in a fantasy setting and taken all the archetypes and turned them into fantasy races and then given my heroes a group of infighting supervillains as their opponents. So it was just, it's a great, fun, but really weird kind of story that I got to release last year with 47 North. 
and then The Younger Gods is a supernatural thriller about Jacob Green, who is a young sorcerer who's the only moral member of his family. Everyone else in the family are kind of sociopathic, uh, blood-sacrifice-using cultists who want to bring about the end of the world. So he realizes that his family are monsters when they sacrifice his only outsider friend. And then he, then Jake, the hero, runs away, tries to start his life, life over, and into the first semester of college, his sister shows up to kickstart the apocalypse. And he has to overcome his complete and utter lack of social skills to gather allies in an attempt to stop her. Well, talk about some uh, family issues right there. Yeah. Your sister yes. is going so, to bring about the apocalypse. Wow. Well, yeah, because if you're going to have a real, if you're going to have a really big threat, I think it's also important to have a personal threat, so that yeah. the kind of readers can stay invested. Because save the world is really big and intangible, but your sister is always better than you at everything, and now she's going to rub your face in it. It's really personal. Well, yeah, and that's great. Not only that, uh, you know. To defeat the evil villain, it's your sister. I mean, that has to bring a lot of emotional conflict right then, right there. I mean, I guess, you know, it might not be as bad because your sister's always better. So it's like, yeah, but it's still, that's got to be tough. I don't know if I could do that. You know, personally, that that's that's tough. Uh, but, you know, yeah, jump, kind of jumping. No, go ahead. Yeah, because, you know, he's a guy who lived an incredibly cloistered life for the first 17 years. You know, the only people he knew was his family, so they were the normal. So within his family, he was less intelligent, you know, less adept as a sorcerer. It didn't, you know, he didn't have the the kind of the guts to do what a good green should do in terms of all the blood sacrifice and whatever. And then he gets out into the world, he realizes that his family is the one that, as far as everyone else is concerned, are totally bonkers. So he has to reorganize his entire view on the world. But when his sister comes back, it's all the same old drama. And all, like he, he feels, again, like he's that, that younger brother who couldn't ever do anything other than look up family histories. So it's, uh, it was really fun to be able to have the, the pressure and the conflict be so kind of constantly present for the character. Hmm. So why have you kind of moved towards uh, the, the superhero type books right now? You know, as awesome as they are, you kind of, the geekomancy and that was kind of a, and Celebromancy was kind of the magic in uh, an urban fantasy, I guess. And now you've kind of moved over to the superheroes. So I, I have way more ideas than I can ever do, and uh, than I can ever do something with. So last year I kind of, I was a little bit all over the place. And Shield and Crocus, I had actually written an earlier version of it before I even wrote Geekomancy. So when I came mm-hmm. on with y'all the first time, I was talking about, you know, I'd written a couple of things, and then I had this the kind of fencing book that I was working on, and then I got distracted to work on Geek Nancy. But before that fencing book even, I was working on Shield and Crocus. And after, after um, Geek Nancy and Celebromancy came out, an editor who had looked at an earlier draft of Shield and Crocus reached out to me and said, hey, are you going to do something with that superhero fantasy book? And so we sent it to him and to a couple of other editors, and he made a, a good offer on it and had a really great vision for how to kind of how to produce it. And I, you know, he'd given me great kind of feedback previously about how to make the book better, which I then had gone and done. So I had this book that I was excited to release and a story I wanted to share with the world, even though tonally and content wise, it was 
kind of a, uh, a kind of a digression from what I've been doing with Geekomancy. And then mm-hmm. Younger Gods was a story that I'd had in my head for years and years, even before Shield and Crocus. And when I pitched ideas to the editor who published uh, Geekomancy and Celebromancy, that was the one that he jumped on. So Younger Gods mm-hmm. is kind of the most far afield of anything I've done. And I really love all the lessons I learned with it because it's got a really prominent, present first-person voice. The character is really distinct. Um, you know, Ree in Geekomancy is very distinct, and Jake is as distinct but in a different way. So after releasing all those books, I kind of took stock and talked with my agent. So the stuff I'm working on moving forward is kind of moving back toward what I was doing with Geekomancy. You know, it's action-adventure, it's very pop culture-y, but it may be... You know, there's some that are science fiction rather than fantasy, but still doing a lot of the same uh, kind of thematic work in terms of playing with stories and culture. I mean, I, I like the the premise for Shield and Crocus. Uh, you know, because you got the superheroes, but it's still in a fantasy setting. So that that yeah. I mean, just reading that one, you emailed me earlier. I'm like, oh, this actually tickles the funny bone. I want I want to see this. You know, and the younger gods. I love the fact that you've pit brother and sister against each other. Uh, that's just already, you know, because all of us have had those moments where we've had civil rivalry, sibling rivalry. Right? I can't say that word right now. Wow, sibling rivalry. Okay, you get that from me. I, I'm not going to say it again. Um, <laughs> but we, we've all had that moment where you know it's we feel like oh you know the parent is focusing on the younger brother and the younger sister and vice versa, and we're, we're button heads. This just, like, puts it on a grand scale of epic proportions, you know. If someone yeah, came like home that. to me one day and said, hey, your brother is going to bring about the end of the world in the apocalypse, and, you know, he can throw lightning bolts from his hands. I, uh, and you've got to defeat him. And you got to defeat him. I'd be sitting yeah, there right. like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's just awesome. That's like a that's a home run out of the ballpark in my opinion right there. Cool, thank you. So I mean, is there a possibility of you know sequels to these books, or is it just are these just kind of a one off? Yeah. So each of them was written to be able to stand alone to a certain extent. Um, okay. I have more of a I have more of a plan for Shield and Crocus. I have kind of a a trilogy planned, and that's kind of the the central story for this universe is the trilogy story of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Crocus, um, you know, very much influenced by the st- original Star Wars trilogy. You know, I had okay. I, I cherry-picked and rearranged some things, so the fight at the end of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Crocus is actually much more like the fight at the end of Return of the Jedi because there's three different fights going on, and I cut oh, back nice. and forth between them, which is really, really fun. It was a, an excellent um just as a craft challenge to be able to pace out three different fights and make them distinct from each other in, in a, in slightly different ways. That was really, really fun. So Shield and Crocus, I also am really interested in seeing if I can do a graphic novel or comics in that world, just because there's so much of a rich history of graphic novels and comics in the superhero form, you know, it was born in the sequential art form and still the vast majority uh, the content produced is in that form, even with really popular and really excellent uh, films and some TV shows that we're getting. I have a rough plan for more work in the Younger Gods series, uh, but since the first book only came out a few months ago, I'm still waiting to see kind of how it's received and 
then I can take stock as I'm looking forward and decide where the intersection of what I'm interested in writing and what the readers are really clamoring for. So right now, there's, there's been a lot more people who've engaged with and written me back about Shilling Crocus than Younger Gods, but the books came mm-hmm. out about, uh, what, four or five months apart from one another. So I've got stuff I'm working on now, but then I'm, I'm always going back and looking at stuff I've released because 2014, I had books in three different series, a novella for Rires, and then these two novels that we've been talking about. So whatever more people are excited about, that's probably the one where I'm going to go back to the, the, the publisher and say, hey, do we want to do more on this? Because I want yeah. to, you know, I want to try to be, be smart in terms of business. And most of what that comes from is responding to my readers and to fans because I want to deliver what they're interested in reading. Now, is there a particular character from Shield and Crocus that kind of stood out, whether it's one of the heroes, villains, or even one of, just made, one of the side characters that just kind of surprised you and kind of caught you unaware that you really, you know, kind of attached to and really liked writing? Yeah, there's there's a few. Just because it's an ensemble piece, I I had a lot of fun fleshing out, you know, a variety of characters because it wasn't just one one leader. You know, the team in Shield and Crocus who are the shields of Out of That Call, which is the city, you know, they're very much my Justice League, my Avengers. So I had different archetypes to to fill, and I, you know, kind of cast characters to fit those archetypes, not only in terms of power sets, but also in terms of attitude. So my my tank, my bruiser character, you know, somebody like Thor or the Hulk or um, or Superman in Shield and Crocus is a, a woman whose kind of superhero name is Sapphire. And she's from a race that are, they're blue and they're big and they were designed as laborers and slaves. And she and a bunch of her other people were freed and she joined the Shields to kind of try and help free other people. And the race that she comes from, they never stop growing. They just keep getting bigger year over year over year. So by the time we, we come to this novel, she's eight feet tall and four feet wide, and she's just a total brick house. And I loved having a bruiser character who was a woman who really looked and felt big like a bruiser. Because you get, like, superheroes who are women who have super like super strength, you know, and you have mm-hmm. someone like She-Hulk, where she's very, very strong, and she's clearly visually strong. But she's not as big as even somebody like Big Barda, and definitely not as big as, like, the Thing or the Hulk. And I wanted yeah. a female bruiser who was big. And she was really fun to write because she was such a challenge to kind of normative femini- femininity and was different looking and acting than a lot of women who are super-powered and even who are super-strong get to act and get to be drawn. Yeah, no, I, mean, I actually like that. Uh, I was with some friends of mine. We were kind of jokingly plotting out a story idea, and one of the things that we really focus on is we would like to see a female character play the muscle, you know, that archetype. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's perfect because we don't see that a lot. You know, we do see female characters kind of take the lead, but they're still very soft, feminine, feminine, and they're not really big muscle-bound tanks. So I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Yeah, you know, because I think in, in Hollywood, yeah, in Hollywood, there's not much room for bigger women to get roles, just in general. Um, you know, we've got a few exceptions, you know, women who've been in, kind of embraced but then um, stereotyped or typecast for their size. 
Um, you know, I'd love to see Gabri Sidibe as like the tank in a, in a movie or a TV show because I think she could do a great job because she's an astonishing actress. But the field is so narrowed that there's only a few bigger women in Hollywood who have uh, any amount of fame or clout. And I think that we're, we're missing out on probably a lot of actresses who are really physically capable but don't fit the kind of visual model. And since I'm writing a book, I got to cast whoever I wanted. And so I was able to, to work against that, that kind of uh, typology and that trend. Hmm. That's awesome. Now, same question, but with the younger gods, was there a character in there that kind of stood out as well? Yeah, so probably the, the character who most surprised me in, in the best kind of way was again a woman who was a tank, and this is a character who is part of a group called the Brook- the uh, the Broadway Knights, who are kind of supernatural protectors of the homeless because it's set in New York City, and there are a lot of homeless people in New York City for a variety of reasons. When I lived in New York, I would see a lot of homeless people. You know, I got was approached by by some, talked with others at various times, and I wanted to have a character in The Younger Gods who didn't necessarily speak for the homeless, but spoke about the homeless and showed that in a supernatural community within New York, there would be a a kind of a social mechanism for, for trying to help the homeless people, especially in a version of New York that has like vampires and like werewolves and various things that prey on people at the margins. And if you've got a population like the homeless who kind of statistically are being already on the margins are super vulnerable to tons of different things. And I could literalize that metaphor by having, you know, a, a group who, who look out for the homeless. And this character started out as a guy and it's like, okay, you know, so he's, he's kind of, he's big and he's burly and he's a guardian and he, you know, he, he knows all the people. And I got about a third to a halfway through the book and I realized, Hey, what if I made this character a woman? And reapproaching that character and kind of refiguring her as like a, a shorter kind of stockier woman who was every bit as world-worn, every bit as experienced, every bit as tough and, you know, take no guff from anybody running around in a ratty coat with a sawed off shotgun underneath her armpit really stood out and she became really exciting to write. So I found over these last few books that challenging my assumptions about who the normal heroes are and who the normal kind of archetypes are has been incredibly rewarding for me as a writer uh, because I'm getting to create characters that feel more dynamic and more fresh and more exciting to me. Yeah, I I like the stories where the archetypes are twisted a little bit, where you get, you know, the female muscle or, you know, one that we were kind of joking around is, you know, the geek, the, you know, the male geek as the face man. He's the pretty boy, but he's yeah. still a geek. Um, so I mean, that's have you got have you all watched uh, Leverage? Oh, I love Leverage. Leverage that's yes. a great series. Yeah, because like the because the Aldous Hodge character, he kind of grows into that over the course yeah. of the series because he's got he's got that charm, and it it helps them do that stereotype busting. And you know, and like in Arrow, you have Felicity, who is the hacker, but she's she's become very confident and very glam in her persona. Yeah. So that she's not just another nerdy hacker girl who has like the Hollywood version of bad hair 
um, and is very shy. Like she's she's rounded out as a character. No, I agree, yeah. I, and that's I I like that character. I you know we did see that one episode where we saw a flashback, and she was kind of the emo gothy hacker. But right, we, yeah. And moving up, you're seeing you know the progression of that character, as well as I mean that series has done really well because you have you know you have like John Diggle and you have uh, Roy playing their parts, but then we have uh, Laurel now kind of showing yeah. up as Black Canary. And I like how they twist those archetypes around. Um, and again, just going back, books and stories where you see they twist those around and it's kind of the unexpected. I think those are the, the best stories out there because it's we're not getting the same you know, 1950s science fiction book where you you got the, the macho man and he's, he's the hero and the woman is weak and he's always got to save her. I, I, I like it when it's the other way around where you know, right. the woman is you know, the, the muscle and she's saving the day. So, you know, yeah, cause good for stories, you for going for that one. Yeah, thank you. Because for me, stories are the way we learn to read and to unlock the world. And that growing up, the stories that I consumed kind of gave me roadmaps to what was possible and gave me role models of who I could be like. And if we keep on only telling the same kinds of stories with the same people in the roles of the hero, then only those people are are told through the through this narrative and through culture that they're allowed to be heroes. So I'm really excited to and, and humbled by the opportunity to try to expand that and to challenge and to invert stereotypes and to try to include characters from a diverse, diverse range of backgrounds across several axes of kind of, you know, I've got queer heroes and I've got non-white heroes and other people of color and just... just Challenging my own assumptions is exciting mm-hmm. as a storyteller, and I think it's to a good use on a broader cultural level if we're thinking about people coming to these stories and using them as their roadmaps to the world. Now, as a writer, is there a particular style that you use? Uh, you know, do you write everything linear? Uh, you know, in succession, you know, from the beginning to the end. Do you kind of bounce around? Do you use an outline? I mean, how do you write? Yeah, my process actually has changed a lot since since I came on last time. So when I yeah. wrote Celebromancy, I had kind of a rough outline and I had some low, some kind of waypoints. Like, oh, I want to have a scene like this. Oh, I want to have a scene where the where Ree fights a dragon. Oh, I want to have you know there, here's this this love scene. And in the fall of 2013, I took a an online writing class with um, Mary Robinette Kowal, who's a fantastic fantastic writer. She's also a puppeteer before she was a writer. Um, And she gave me some great notes on outlining in the class. And then we got to chat a little bit after the class uh, because that was very short story focused and I'm more of a novelist. Mm -hmm. And with that tool set and with that kind of version of outlining, I did a really kind of thorough outline of Hexamancy, which is the next Rewayed book coming up this fall. And I wrote the whole first draft in like 31 days writing between 60 and 120 minutes, like one to two hours a day for Hmm. six days a week. So that was really, really fast for me about more than twice as fast as I've ever written when I had to work full time. And that was all because I'd outlined more efficiently and because 
I had a better outline every step of the way so that I would open up my, my Word doc or my Scrivener because I use Scrivener now, which is great. And in Scrivener, I'll have what, what I've written before, but then I'll have a short outline right at the bottom of my document so that I'll you know, start the day and it's like, okay, and then Ree and Drake will chase the Strega across the city, and here are a couple of fun little bits that they'll run into. So it's not a total lockdown straitjacket of an outline, but it's really detailed. And it's, hmm. it gives me the opportunity to be inspired and to feel like I know where I'm going. So I don't open up yeah. the doc and go, okay, what am I going to write today? And spend all that time just kind of trying to daydream on the, like, on the moment and, uh, and to be able to get to the page. Instead, I've done a lot of that work ahead of time, and I get to write the first draft really fast. And the result of that you know, from Hexamancy and now into these novellas that I'm working on is that the, you know, I'm, I'm busting out a 25,000-word novella, like 125 pages, um, kind of in terms of book form, in a couple of weeks. And it means that I get to write more of the ideas that I have because I'm able to go that much faster, uh, which I love because I have an endless, a seemingly endless font of ideas, and I want to get them all out and tell stories to people. Yeah. No, I mean, Mary is amazing. I, I love the little Doctor Who nods that she does in her books. Mm-hmm. And I have seen her puppetry, and she just, I mean, she did a shadow puppet uh, presentation, and it was pretty amazing uh, what she could do. And I, I, I'm going to have to check this out because I've never seen her, you know, teach that class with the outlining and structure the way she has. Because, I mean, that's impressive to be able to kick out a book, you know, that fast. So, yeah, wow. it was it was basically kind of hyper NaNoWriMo. Now, yeah. I was able to do that because of the class and because I'd spent 10 years developing my writing skills up to that point and because it was a later book in the series. So all the characters, all the world, I already knew it really well. So I had some cool extenuating circumstances helping me out, but I definitely yeah. recommend the class. It was called Writing on the Fast Track, and I definitely mm-hmm. commend it to all of your listeners who are writers. Very nice. Writing on the fast track. Go go check that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that sounds really cool. It, de- it definitely does. And, if, you know, obviously, if you know, you're, you're been a seasoned writer and if that helped you, I mean, that says a lot for it as well. So, you know, so you've got these two books. You've got two more coming out. Like you said, you have Hexomancy coming out in September, roughly. Mm-hmm. And then you have yeah. another one uh, that you just recently announced from uh, that's with Tor. So yeah, so the 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 new series is called Genre Knots, and it's really okay. something different. Um, when the Tor.com novella project was announced, I had already been kind of listening to a bunch of self-publishing podcasts and kind of business of publishing podcasts, mostly from independent authors, and I decided that I was going to jump on this, this novella project as an opportunity to try to do a different form of storytelling and to do something kind of like television, but in prose form that was episodic, where each episode could be read on its own, but they really did build to something bigger. Mm-hmm. And my agent and I were able to sell um, Lee Harris, who I used to work with at Anchor Robot, who's the senior editor now for the Tor.com novella project, on this concept and it's called genre knots. And the basic idea is that you've got a group of characters, a group of people from our earth who 
travel between dimensions, and each different dimension is where a narrative genre lives. There's a world for mm -hmm. Westerns. There's a world for science fiction. There's a world for fantasy. And then you've got so kind of some combination areas that emerge occasionally, like cyberpunk or a weird Western. And in those worlds, they're their own kind of narrative ecosystems, right? And every ecosystem has entropy. So sometimes stories break. Instead of playing out the normal way you'd expect, something goes wrong. You know, the heroic group of gunfighters in the Western, they gather together as a posse, and then they're killed to a man. And the only survivor, you know, kind of uh, ducks tail and runs. So a, the story world breaks. The story in that Western was supposed to happen where the posse assembles, they beat the bandits, and save the town. So now that world is out of order. And when a story world is out of order, it ripples back to Earth Prime, the Earth that's kind of what we're familiar with. And every mm -hmm. genre world has its own effect on Earth. So when the Western world goes, uh, goes off track, when there's a breach, you get a rash of gun violence, you get vigilantism, you get people taking the law into their own hands. So I'm trying to, to make, kind of a, make a statement about what each genre is about and to tell stories about stories and uh, storytellers and to get to have the same pop culture-y kind of fun that I do with Geekomancy. So it's really been a perfect storm of all the things that I wanted to do as a storyteller creatively and business-wise, and I'm getting to do them. So there's going to be two novellas that have sold to Tor.com so far, and I'm planning the series to be in seasons, and there'll be six episodes per season. Each episode is a novella. And then how I release those other novellas in the seasons, that is still to be determined. Well, all I can say is sold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Excellent. I, I mean, that, that's, that's just awesome. I, I like the idea where, you know, they travel from place to place. And I even like the fact, because, you know, we've seen kind of those stories before, but I like how it's broken and it's, a, and that filters back, you know, because you always see those, we've seen, you know, cartoons or TV shows where that's happened, but then they fix it. You know, and it's like, oh, everything's back to normal the way it was. Um, and we've seen it in Once Upon a Time and several other things where they've kind of gone back in time or they've gone into a book, and but they've fixed it. And so you know, the story's a little different, but this, the outcome is still the same. I like the fact that the outcome isn't the same, and then that affects, you know, Earth Prime, we'll, we'll call that. You know, and so now something else has gone wrong. And I'm, I'm guessing eventually they're going to have to go back and fix it, but I like the fact that, it breaks, you know, the posse yeah. dies or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They, because they monitor the different worlds and they have the various bases. And we join the story when uh, a new genre knot gets recruited after a story has gone awry because stories are breaking faster and faster than they used to. And their, their teammates, their, their personnel are getting hurt because there's so many story breaches and they're getting more dangerous. So they have to bring on additional staff because a story world breaks, there's an effect on Earth, they go to that world to fix the story, and they try to be as unobtrusive as they can be so that they don't get caught up in the story's momentum because then they get trapped on the world and they can't go back home, and they forget who they used to be. So they have to oh. go influence the story, but kind of like God, fairy godparents, they have to try to stay in the shadows wherever they can or not get too involved because if they stay too long or they get too involved in the story, it can trap them. And I wanted there to be this relationship between the story worlds and our world so it wasn't just these flights of fancy with no consequences that, you know, I'm making an assertion that stories have power and that 
stories are relevant to our world and we use different stories in different ways psychologically and socially. And so I'm literalizing that metaphor by having this kind of narrative dimensional ecosystem between the worlds. And that let me play that lets me play up the stakes and have mm-hmm. what happens matter more than just kind of and at the end of the episode everything is everything is resolved and we leave everything that happened in episode 1 and episode 1. I don't like that. I like storytelling where stuff accretes where meaning accretes, where backstory kind of assembles between different episodes. Um, It's something that I don't like as much about Sleepy Hollow, the TV show. It's really, really strictly episodic and doesn't build as much, whereas something like Leverage or The Middleman um, or Supernatural, there's really an accretion of meaning, and that's the kind of storytelling I want to do. Well, uh, that's great. And another thing about this is you get to play in like all these different genres and these different pools. You can you can do the yes! the, the western. You can do the you know the the space. You can do the caveman story. I mean, you you literally can go anywhere w- with this uh, this ship. We'll call it. I mean, yeah. how amazing yeah. is that to be able to to do all those things? Because I mean, that's one thing with a normal novel or something like that is you're kind of stuck. You know, if you're going to do a science fiction book, you're stuck science in science fiction. fiction. You know, and then you got to yep. wait till you're done with that, and then you know you can say, "Hey, I'm going to write another book," but that's separate. Now you got to jump into all these different genres, and oh, I'm I have to say I'm jealous. That sounds like so much you, fun. You found me out. This is actually just a, an elaborate way to be able to indulge my kind of narrative dilettante inclinations while mm-hmm. still having a cohesive story. Yeah. No. I. Wow. Uh, Tor is. Uh, I mean, they're lucky to pick this up, yeah. and you know, I can just see you having tons and tons of fun with this. I mean, me myself, I would love it. I would have lots of fun. You know, you as a storyteller, oh man, I can just imagine the fun you're going to have uh, being able to do yeah, this. Yeah, because I, I also get to like take loving pot shots at things about genres that I'm familiar with, like making you know making fun of the way that, you know, stuff happens in fantasy or the way, like, how in mystery stories, like, uh, basically every other CBS show is about a wacky guy with a strange talent and a a kind of a tough, by-the-books detective woman. And then together they fight crime. Like, that's become its own tale type. So I can dive in, play with that, and kind of poke poke at it where it's silly and kind of shed cool light on it where I think it's awesome. So as a storyteller, you know, it's, it's the fun kind of recursive thing of stories about stories uh, mm-hmm. because so much of what I do and what I want to do is using the fact that, like, in an alternate universe, I would be an academic now and I would be like a cultural studies narrative theory academic. And I'm just taking mm-hmm. all of that, all of those ideas and all that interest, and I put it into my fiction. So I get to share it with way more people and I get to write about these people who are engaging with stories and with storytelling and with genres and, and kind of popular culture. And then other people get to talk about it a whole bunch more instead of me saying, all right, class. So today we're doing, you know, narrative theory 301, like thousands and thousands of people get to kind of engage with this and, and talk back to me. Um, you know, ideally many, many thousands. Um, but it's so much fun to be able to, to play out those ideas kind of in public as a storyteller. Nice. So you, you mentioned so many episodes per season. So how many mm-hmm. was that again? Six, I believe. Six? Yes, yeah, six. Okay. Now, 
Okay, so how long do you see you doing this? Because I mean, we have four seasons a year, so I mean that's that's quite quite a bit of writing. So uh, you know, simple math, you know, we can do that. Is twenty four? I mean, that's twenty four episodes, which is you know the length of a normal TV, TV series, series uh, for the year. Um, I mean, is that going to be difficult, or is that you're going to be able to be on target? And is that going to be something that you're going to want to continue on to do another year, or is it just for the year? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of think, I'm I'm cheating a bit by combining a few different television models because okay. structurally they're the episodes are going to be most like something they're going to be like Leverage or The Librarians or Warehouse 13 with a self-contained story of about that scale, but I'm going to do six episodes per season in the same way that like British television does, where there's maybe six episodes and they call it in a series. So every yeah. year I'm really shooting to do one season rather than four seasons in a year. Like it's a television season as opposed to a, like a, cal- a calendar season. So I've got a five-year plan, just like my, one of my narrative heroes, J. Michael Straczynski um, of Babylon 5. And I know what the very end is already, and I've got a year-by-year plan. But then there's room in each of those seasons to innovate and to surprise myself. And I'd love to, you know, to have as many of those, you know, most of any given season come out with a publisher, but I'm also ready to release some of them or maybe even the rest of them on my own because I'm very interested in trying my hand at independent publishing or author publishing, depending on how, you know, you want to talk about it. Because I do think it's good as a writer to be able to be versatile and to have mm-hmm. all of those options and to be feel confident in using them. Because I think that if the episodes release more regularly, you know, once a month or maybe one month between each coming out over the course of six or nine months, that's going to be a lot better than if I release them, you know, four months apart and the series stretches out for seven or eight years. I want to yeah. kind of have that, oh, did you read the latest episode of Genre Knots? And to, to do a little bit of that water cooler element. Um, so I'm going to be pushing to release all six episodes of the first season, probably by, I'd say like, March or April of 2016, you know, if it starts in September and then you'd finish a season in April or May in terms of like mm-hmm. American TV. Yeah. Huh. I, that, I, I can see a lot of value, let alone yeah. it would be easy to turn this into a TV series just from the sounds of it. So especially if it does really well. Uh, wow. I, that's, that is a, a huge task, but it sounds like lots and lots of fun. I mean, I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you. It yeah, also, it's um, yeah. yeah. Go for it. It also sounded like you were you were wanting interaction from your readers too. Yeah, that's it's been one of the the absolute coolest things about being kind of a published writer. And I knew this as a reader because I'd already gotten to engage a little bit with some writers. Um, you know, especially when I was like when I was a teenager, because my dad works in publishing, I got to meet some of my, my writing heroes, you know, people who'd done Star Wars tie-in novels or other things. But getting to be the creator and having people, both colleagues, you know, fellow writers, um, but fans, people who are primarily readers um, who, you know, will, you know, they'll read 200 novels a year or something, you know, maybe novels and comic books combined. And to be able to to impress someone who's that avid of a reader, because these people are just as engaged with the community and with 
the kind of the genre as I am. And it's really cool to be able to create something that then people are talking about and to be an inspiration and to add to a great kind of tradition and history uh, of storytelling. So I'm hoping that, that genre knots will kind of being serial and episodic, there'll be enough more kind of instances that people can talk about. And I do hope that there'll be some kind of talk back and engagement in the community. You know, I've got my a pretty decent plan of what I want to do, but I'm very happy to respond to fan interest. If people are like, oh, you know, you really need to do like a Wuxia episode. I'm like, well, I can do a Wuxia episode. How can I make this fit the story um, so that I can have a little bit of that back and forth with uh, with readers? Yeah, I mean, that, that that sounds like a great idea, to be honest. Now, so let's say everything lines up perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. you've got readers that are avidly wanting to to jump on board for every episode. The paychecks running in, and what is one thing that you would love to see come out of genre knots? Now, is it a TV series? Well, is it a movie? Is yeah. it you know a role playing game come out of it? I mean, what would you really love to see? How come cool out would of that it? be? I know. Yeah, um, I I'd say that I've got. I'll, I'll do an ambitious goal and a realistic goal, and you know, kind of total naked ambition. I'd love to have a television show. I think it is very much designed to be able to be filmable. You know, like okay, MGM, all of these backlots that you have are exactly the set that you need for this TV show because that's the point. You know, you can pick up any old Western backlot set and that's what a genre knots Western world would look like. So it plays directly into what I think is Hollywood's love of celebrating itself. And I think that there is a a great part of any storytelling tradition that is remembering what you've done before and celebrating the best in the tradition. So I think that could be really cool. And having a work of mine turn into television would be just a phenomenal dream come true. The kind of more realistic thing that I have more control over myself is that I'm also interested in seeing if I can complement the main story of genre knots by creating a comic series. Uh, You know, Sheldon Crocus, I talked about comics. This, I talked about comics. Last year, I went to the Baltimore Comic Con, and I got really excited about comics, and wrote a comic script, and I've been thinking about trying to get into that comics writing world. So a lot of the projects I've been working on, I've been thinking, how can I do this in comics? Or can I do this in comics? Or how can I support this in comics? Uh, Because I also really love the idea of transmedia storytelling, where you have a greater world, and then you tell stories in that world in different ways with different media. So those are a few of my ambitions with, with genre knots. And if I get to satisfy any of them, uh, I'll probably be extra happy. Yeah, I mean, it would be amazing to go into comics. Uh, I mean, just as we've been talking, there's like so many different ideas. I mean, th- this could go. I mean, w- you know, what if, you know, kind of a, a Red Dwarf type setting, you know? I mean, that that's a great TV show. And you know, to have them go into that, I mean, as bad as everything is already happening in there, but then you throw in an even bigger monkey wrench on that. <laughs> Of course, maybe that's the reason that things go bad is because there is a genre not in there. Are you going to uh, want a Doctor Who? Sir? There could be a Doctor Who. I mean, there could be Star Trek. There could be Star Wars. You yep. could do Firefly. I mean, 
we, I mean, granted, you can't use those exact names, but you but, could have yeah. something very right. similar. I, this just yeah. has an unlimited amount of potential, yeah. honestly. Yeah, yeah. Because for the thing that I that I think is really promising about genre knots is that I get to take a lot of the same fun that I have with the Reyes books, mm-hmm. but take a step back and be a bit broader. Whereas, like, Geekomancy and Slubbermancy, it's the very specific thing. Like, she uses a lightsaber, like, literally a lightsaber prop as the lightsaber, and it's very kind of upfront and forward-facing in terms of its use of pop cultural materials. But genre being broader, I think, will be more universal in its appeal, while also still appealing to kind of diehard genre fans. And it does let me do all of that. You know, the, the second episode that's sold at Tor.com it's very much, you know, I've got Babylon 5 in there. I've got a little bit of Firefly. I've got um, some Last Starfighter, you know. So it's, it's getting to take that influence soup that I grew up with and say, oh, this part from this one science fiction was really fun. And this part, so I get to, to do that recombination of influences, but in a very upfront way, similar to, to Geekomancy, but I feel even less constrained and more energized to just take everything that I love and everything that I think about storytelling and to put that into the kind of the soup that makes genre knots. And I've just been really excited and energized by, by the process. You know, I wrote the, the, I've written the rough drafts of four of the novellas, four episodes for the first season and two are about ready to turn in. And just All every right. one of them is more delightful than the last. I just think you're having way too much fun. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what it sounds like is you're just having lots of fun. And, you know, <laughs> good for you for that. I mean, wow. Like I said, I'm jealous. That just sounds like a really fun universe to play in and a really good, great sandbox. And it'd be uh, fun to speed write like he is. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, especially with how yeah. fast you're writing. So, well, I mean, I apologize. We're running out of time. But uh, where can the listeners pick up Shield and Cro- Crocus as well as the Younger Gods? So both Shield and Crocus and the Younger Gods are available on uh, Amazon and in audiobook from Audible. Um, okay. Shield and Crocus is brilliant instead of Audible, but they're basically the same company. Um, Shield and Crocus is just on Amazon platforms for ebook because it's from 47 North, and that's kind of how they roll. Younger okay. Gods is available on all of the, the ebook platforms, but you can get them anywhere that you can get audiobooks. And Shield and Crocus is in paperback, which was my first paperback book, and it's super cool. And the the cover art is gorgeous, um, so you can get that one anywhere you can order paper books. All right, so you can go pick these up now. Stay tuned for uh, genre knots as well as hexomancy. Mm-hmm. And I apologize, we kind of we kind of looked over that one. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming that's kind of a continuation of the geekomancy and celebromancy mm-hmm. world. So. Yeah. Wow. Go ahead. Yeah, it's um, it's very much the end of kind of Act One of the greater Reyes story. So a lot of threads come back and get tied together, because I wanted to write a book where I can get to the end of Hexamancy and a reader can get to the end of Hexamancy and they'll have some closure, if not total closure. And that way, if I end up writing other stuff and it takes a while for me to get back to that series, readers won't feel like they've been left in the lurch. So I wanted to kind of to close an arc for that one, play in some other sandboxes, and then I'm hoping to come back and tell the rest of that broader story. But Hexamancy is an ending, but not the ending. 
Hmm. All right. Well, uh, to all of our listeners, go pick up The Younger Gods, Shield and Crocus. It sounds like you'll have lots of fun reading these two books. Uh, be expecting genre knots because if, uh, this just sounds amazing to me. And then uh, Hexomancy will uh, be a great addition to Geekomancy and Celebromancy, which you've already should have picked up because we've already told you to do so. Yeah. Um, you know, is there anything else you want to you mention or uh, say before we run out of time here? Um, so my day job is also in publishing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm the sales and marketing manager for Angry Robot Books. And Angry Robot was bought by a different company, like this happens in publishing and stuff got shuffled around. But we're resuming publishing in March, and we've got okay. a great assortment of books coming out. So uh, shoot your web browsers over to angryrobotbooks.com and take a look at what we've got coming out. Um, you know, it is all of the, the best in SSF and WTF, question mark, exclamation mark. So we, you, know, you can expect stuff that's both exciting and commercial, but also really kind of a bit different. Um, in the world of science fiction and fantasy over at Angry Robot. Yeah, I've kind of wondered that myself, but you know, definitely uh, keep us in mind since you can talk to the powers that be there and you know, send the authors our way. We'd love to have them on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, when John Arnott gets ready to, to launch as well as Hexomancy, you know, shoot me another email. We'd love to have you back yes. on the show to talk more about that. And mm-hmm. um, Wow. I mean, just thanks for coming on the show again oh, tonight. And, so, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jay Posey will, uh, said uh, to say hello for him. So he's one of my authors in Angry Robot. I remember he had a great time coming on with you all. Yeah, uh, love him. Love having him on the show. Love to have him back again. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, stay in touch. Love to have you back on. Mm-hmm. Everyone, run out and go buy these books. Uh, <laughs> I need to go get my copies now. <laughs> Seriously, cool. sounds like it's just right down my alley. Uh, so thanks again for coming cool, on the you. show. We'll stay in touch, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll love to have you back. Thanks. Take care, all. All right. Have a great Thank night. You. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, everyone. That is author Michael Underwood, uh, author of Celebromancy, Geekomancy, uh, Attack of the Geek, soon to be Hexomancy, Shield and Crocus. Uh, the Young, young gods. gods and Genre Nuts. I, wow. They're, that's just a mouthful right there. Uh, great guy. He's been on the show several times before. Really good writer. Uh, I've enjoyed the material he's put out. And it's fun. It's a fun read. Really great read. So definitely go pick that out. As well as author Taryn James. Think, you, you know, it's, I want to say a thank you for him coming out and kind of putting up with the crazy tech issues. Uh, it sounds like there's people out there as well with, yes, with his book signing. There is. Um, you know, great book. I I I actually got to get, I got a copy of the original self-published first book, and then he gave me a copy oh, wow. of the actual one where he went through a publisher. Um, it is a good series. It's definitely uh, a good read, uh, definitely for young adults. So if you have any of those young adults that are interested, uh, pick up this book. And as always. You know, stay uh, stay tuned. There's some really exciting stuff coming our, uh, down the pipeline for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Next week, we have author Tracy Hickman coming on the show. You Geek Media was going to come on this evening, but uh, Dennis was sick, so he's kind of, he asked if he can come on next week, and I told him Tracy Hickman was going to be here, and he freaked out, and he's definitely going to be here next week. Even if he's sick, he's probably going to find some plastic bubble to put him around himself yeah. so he can show up for that one. Uh, so stay, So definitely tune in next week. 
and then uh, keep checking out things because there is some really exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. I just can't talk about it yet, uh, but we we will be letting you know uh, soon enough about what that is and what's going on. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in to the show. Uh, we had Michael Brent Collings. We had an interview with him on Monday, and we had uh, authors Taryn James and Michael Underwood this evening. And just uh, there's a lot more exciting stuff coming on. Uh, we've had several author interviews, and then uh, we're, we're, I'm working on getting uh, Wizards of the Coast and Paizo to come on and talk about some 5th edition D&D stuff as well as Pathfinder th- stuff, and we'll continue bringing the, the great stuff. And... Uh, bringing the world of geek to you guys so with that said uh we're going to close the show out and we will be back uh, next week so uh good night world good night salt lake and get more from your games and we'll see you next time bye